Hi, this is Emily Gibson. And this is Caitlin McFarland. And we are the co-founders of ATX Television Festival. And you are listening to the TV Campfire. It's the middle of October. And would we say it's cold outside? No. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. But it's not August. But it's not August. Today we are releasing Letterkenny, which... People are very excited about this show. Like, it's one of those, I always find it really interesting, these, like, cult shows that, I mean, it's a Canadian show. Like, where did it come mm-hmm. from? Yep. How did it get this following? Who found it first? Well, I have to say, when I first heard about Letterkenny, because mm-hmm. Hulu brought it up to us, I feel, two, two years, years ago? ago, and they brought it up to us, and they said, the terminology they said was something about they're doing a live show. Like, they're oh, yeah. turning around and doing like a live show. Bob's Burgers does. And yeah. Stuff. And so in my head, having not seen the show at the time, I was like, oh, so I thought the show was like a sketch comedy show type mm-hmm. thing where it was like vignettes or. Right. I was I had no idea what it was, but I knew that it, all I knew was that it had a very specific tone. Yep. Very specific sense of humor and that people were obsessed with it. And then it became my favorite word, a Bader-Meinhof. Oh, yeah. Where? Took us a long time to remember Bader-Meinhof, <laughs> yes. but now we know it. For uh, those where, of you that don't you know, know what a Bader-Meinhof is. is. If you've never heard of something before, once you hear it for the first time, then you will hear it all hear the time. Hear or see. Like, yes. if you've, like, somebody's like, yeah, there's yellow Volkswagen bugs everywhere. And you're like, no, there's not. I've never seen one ever. And then you see, like, 12 of them the yes. next day. And that's, I feel like, what Letterkenny became to me. It was a, I'd never heard of it before. And then Hulu brought it up to us. And then all of a sudden, everyone around me. Like, I would be walking down the street and hearing conversations people were having about it. Well, and I think it's always interesting when a partner, and Hulu's been such a great partner to us over the years, and we did a couple of things with them at the festival this year, including Into the Dark and Veronica Mars. They bring up, because, you know, networks and studios, they're living in their own bubble, too. So, like, they obviously know there's a cult hit. But they'll do this, like, do you think Letterkenny would do well at the festival? And if, at that point, Emily and I were like, I don't know what the show is. So, like, I don't know. And then when you start floating it out, either social media or friends or programming or whatever, and they're like, oh, yeah, no, this is totally us. (laughs) This is a very specific, very niche, yet at the same time pretty big and growing. Because I think I thought it was because Hulu is one of our few partners that pitches us reunions. I somehow thought it was over, like when it originally was pitched, like, like a couple of years ago. And so then I was like, oh, new episodes. Oh, Oh, they got a few seasons. Oh, what is this? We need to watch them. And so then... I always love when people bring us shows, and as a pure education on our part, figuring out what this show is, Mm -hmm. who these people are. One of the things we did have to figure out was when they brought it to us for this year, Jared Kiso, who's the creator and star and the middle of Letterkenny, wasn't going to be able to come and didn't come, so he's not on the Q&A. But Hulu very much asked, like, is that going to be a problem? Are people not going to want to come because he's not there? Is that and weird? Like, I don't know. <laughs> and let, like, me, I have let me look into it. <laughs> an idea. And it was a resounding no. People love this show. Obviously, they want him there. They want to ask him questions. But he will be missed. He will but... be missed. But they want, they love the show so much. And we're very good at doing shows and showcasing things where we don't have the lead. Yeah. The other thing I thought that, like, really proved that. So this Q&A happens the very end of the festival. It's on the Sunday of the festival. Mm. And this year, we instituted for the very first time rush tickets, where if you don't have a badge, you don't have a ticket. Once everyone is sat, there are $10 cash only at the door at the door rush tickets. And this one had by far the most, mm-hmm. something like 30 tickets on Sunday, which I thought was amazing, too, that that has such a fervent fan following that like that helped 
like that they got to see it as well. Like, I mean, we are a big community. We like you to come for the whole thing or as much as you can. But like it brought new people into the festival, hopefully, and got to see this like kind of bonkers thing on Sunday where they all just got to like let loose with one of my new, she was new to the festival this year. (laughs) But Joanna Robinson of Vanity Fair moderates this and we just fell in love with her. She was another one of the moderators that you send a list and she was like, if I could do everything, I would. But can I do these five things? So they all have, like, I think a really good time up there, which is great. And it's always fun because I love that we have our Q&As extended. So mm-hmm. they're not just everyone comes out on stage, I says one it, or two things, and then oh, walks back I call out. it the, like, trot everybody out, wave, trot them all back. Why did we come? <laughs> and we're like, let's actually have a discussion. And that they do talk about some fun things. I mean, they talk about the different styles of comedy, which this is a very cool. specific tone. So, like, how do you create this tone when people are coming from different comedic mm-hmm. backgrounds? And then even knowing that they're going to have multiple seasons, especially since I thought that it was a sketch show before I <laughs> saw it, that knowing at one point, they found out, like, we're going to have multiple seasons, so they started planning Easter eggs and oh, cool. doing things like, we're going to come back to this, and they had time to grow and table things for future seasons, and yeah. really, in a way that especially, I feel like, comedies don't get to do and don't yeah. do so much, is really figure out where this story is going, yeah. or at least have room to figure out, like, we don't want to do this thing yet, right? but we want to do it later, and we have time to do it later. I think being able to plan has got to be, like, one of the best things that yes. you can do. We're also not releasing all of our Q&As because not all Q&As from a screening are good for a podcast. And so it's fun to be able to find the ones that, like, are kind of a big deal and do what you're saying. It's not just you just saw this episode and let's talk about this episode. It's mm-hmm. about comedy. It's about this show. It's about its interesting journey. Just for the record, we have Jacob Tierney, the EP director, also part of the cast. Mark Montefiore, an executive producer. Nathan Dales, Michelle Milet, and Kay Trevor Wilson, who are all part of the casts. And we're releasing this on Thursday, but Monday the new season started. So you you get to watch watch it and then listen, listen, then watch. But you should go tune into Hulu for new episodes of Letter Kitty. Hello, I am, uh, my name is Joanna Robinson and I am a writer and podcaster for Vanity Fair. I am here to talk to you about one of my favorite shows, Letter Kenny, um, really quickly by sort of sound of applause, who's seen Letter Kenny before? Allegedly. Allegedly. And then is anyone here a newcomer to the series? Yeah, this is fun out of context, right? <laughs> All right, are we good to go? Yeah? Oh, I'm good. Thank you so much. I'm well hydrated. All right, so you're not here to see me. You're here to see Letterkenny folks. So let us bring to the stage Jacob Tierney. (laughs) Executive producer Mark Montefiore. Nathan Dales, who plays Derry. Hey, Trevor Wilson, who plays Squirrely Dan. The lovely Michelle Milano needs no further introduction. Kind of curved a little bit. Is Michelle? Oh, hi. Hi. All right. So I'm going to just like hover awkwardly over you guys like this. It'd be great. Yeah, pretty cool. Pretty cool. Um... So my first question actually is for Mark, which was this, this show started as a web series, and I was curious 
what you saw in that web series and in this creative team that made you feel like it should be a TV show? So uh, I first saw Letterkenny, a friend of mine, Dane Clark, sent me a link to it, uh, the five YouTube videos uh, that uh, Nate was in, of course, and uh, I just fell in love with it. I grew up in a small town just outside of Niagara Falls on the Canadian side, and uh, I recognized myself and all of my friends and all of these characters, and it was fucking funny. <laughs> Amen. So Jacob and Jared are, are sort of the two heads of the creative team here, and I was just curious, Jacob, if you could talk about sort of the division of labor, what you bring to it, and what Jared Kiso brings to the show. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's evolved over the years. I mean, for the first two seasons, Jared and I just wrote them ourselves. Now we have a bunch of different writers. What, the way we do it is we break, a, we break a season down in the sense of, is there going to be a kind of a long arc? Is it a winter season? Is it a summer season? Is there going to be something like, you know, a call-in show for agricultural stuff? <laughs> Um, and then it kind of goes from there. And then on set, we, we pretty much make decisions together, but it's, I'm the director, so like I keep my ship moving and, um, and, uh, Jared whispers things into my ear, like, can you make him do that faster? <laughs> and that's kind of the way it goes. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Um, and then for Michelle, I was wondering, you have this great brother sister relationship with Jared and with all, sort of all the, the boys in the cast. And I was wondering, is that is it the same behind the scenes? How do you foster that sort of familial feel on screen? Yeah, it's kind of been like that from the start, to be honest. I was um, nervous entering the world of Letterkenny when I first booked it because I knew that a lot of the guys were friends before and I didn't know anybody and kind of being the only girl to come into the mix at the beginning was a little bit daunting, but I was very much treated like the little sister in the best way possible from day one. So it's just been an easy, easy thing to translate on screen as well. Yeah. Nice. And then, you know, the, the show started as a sort of sketchy web series, but k Trevor, I know you have a background in stand-up, and I was just curious sort of how you translate sort of stand-up comedy to something like this and how you guys all brought your different, maybe for all of you, how you brought your different comedic styles to the show. Uh, well, I definitely tried to adjust my performance style to fit Letterkenny. Uh, if you've ever seen my stand-up, I speak very slowly. Uh, almost to the point of lulling everyone to a deep, deep sleep. So, so when I joined the cast of Letterkenny, I, I definitely had to speed things up and step things up. But we've always had fun over the years doing Letterkenny of incorporating elements of my stand-up uh, into the show. We have a running gag where Squirrely Dan can never quite remember my, that he's watched my comedy on TV and he quotes my own stand-up. <laughs> And he's not even that big of a fan of me. So <laughs> we have a nice running gag where we put a lot of my jokes in. And that usually comes from Jared calling me up and being like, hey, I want to use one of your jokes. Do you mind if we quote it in the show? And like some of Squirrely Dan's stories are actually my stories that I told Jared. And he was like, well, that's fun. Let's put it in the movie. Uh, Jive and Pete came out of my real life friends. And Mark just gave me the name to pay homage to one of his friends. But like the first season, all the Jive and Pete stories are actually buddies of mine that have giant balls and <laughs> piss down their own basement steps. <laughs> well, good night, everybody. Uh, and, and Nate, my question for you is, which, uh, which character, which actor do you think is most like their character and uh, who's least like their character? You think it's pretty easy? Yeah, kind of. Um, okay, well, we'll go with the most like their character. 
Yeah, I'd probably say Dylan. It's most like his character. Dylan and Andrew would be most like, and then... I don't know. Who, Lisa. Who, yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Lisa Codron, the new plays Gail. She's the least like her character, because she's... <laughs> She's don't really, worry, she's not like that. <laughs> don't worry. Yeah, she's really quiet and like really sweet, and then she like gets the most there. elegant person ever. <laughs> and she just says the most disgusting shit you've ever heard, and then, uh, and then she doesn't know what she's saying half the time too. We have to explain the dirty jokes to her. Yeah, <laughs> and then she just like scramble across the bar and look hilarious, and then. But then she started bringing she started bringing her own dirty dirty jokes to the table at a certain point, and like. I googled some of the stuff she was saying. I was like, oh, holy shit. <laughs> this is vulgar. I remember we had to explain an Alabama hot pocket to her. It's was... disgusting. <laughs> and before you add, no, we're not explaining it. <laughs> you, can, you, can, you can pollute your own search engine with that. So for, for Mark and Jacob, you got, you got this. Huge renewal deal for 40 episodes at once, uh, a ways back. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, what does knowing that, knowing you have 40 episodes to work with, what does that do for your creative process of like where you want to go and how you want to push things? I mean, it's, it's the weirdest. I mean, I don't even know, but creatively you can process it one way, but then like to work in television and know that you've been renewed for three years is so insane. Um, to have a job, it's very calming, and then it's very kind of like panicky. Um, and I, I, at first, we, Derek and I thought we'd kind of drift into doing, and we still may, I don't know, into doing like super weird episodes of the show. Of doing like Jared always had, has had this dream to do. Uh, he wants to do one episode that's a melodrama, so everyone is freaking out about things, like the complete opposite. We've thought about doing a musical. Um, we're halfway there. Uh, uh, so, I mean, it, it really lets you just kind of expand and, and let, it's nice to let the show breathe. Like, I don't know that we would have done six Kraken Ags, you know? I don't know that we would have let that just happen. Um, it doesn't get faster paced either, just by the way. <laughs> they don't get good at it or anything like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's very freeing. It, it's very weird. It truthfully is just really weird because... It's like, you know, do we want to do, we, we, we table ideas now all the time. We're like, yeah, we can do that next block. I oh, will do that next. Because we know we have so much more to do. So it's like we kind of feel, we kind of feel things out as we go along. And, and some of the stuff that uh, we're talking with Jared right now is he's able to look um, many episodes and many seasons ahead and start planting seeds for things that may or may not come to fruition. Um, you know, long, long, uh, long tail ideas that, uh, that just toying with. And wouldn't that be cool if we ended up here and let's plan it now. Um, and if it goes there, then great. We've already set it up. Do you have an example of sort of a seed you planted early that, you know, you saw pay off? We've already seen pay off, or we might see pay off? The ostrich. No. <laughs> see, the ostrich? The ostrich? All right, that's a good one. That's a good one. I mean, that continues to pay off. That <laughs> so that ostrich is going to end up pregnant. <laughs> Allegedly. Like, Who's the father? <laughs> And, this, and the star of the musical episode, right? It's all yep. about the ostrich? Great. Yeah. Great, great, great. Um, it's ostrich exclamation mark. Is the... <laughs> um, so since Jared is not here, um, I was wondering if you all might want to indulge us with uh, your most embarrassing Jared story to punish him for not being here, starting with Michelle, perhaps. <laughs> oh, man. An embarrassing story. Like, to embarrass him. Absolutely. He's um, not here. 
Oh, I actually kind of do have a good one. Oh, I feel like he's going to be mad at me. It's like, oh, I'm trying to get what he said. He was telling me a story of when he was, I think, in grade eight or nine. And Jared's like a real softy. He's like a very, very big sweetheart. And he was at a school dance, and he was dancing <laughs> with his girlfriend. And what did he say to her? And he, met, and he was like, and I, and I said something like, like, there's no place that I would rather be than right here with you and like slow dancing with her and he's like just meant it so much like just loved her so much and just the cutest little Jared Kiso loving his girlfriend in grade eight and I just thought that was the cutest thing because <laughs> I kind of is who he is boo come on come Fuck on that. Kind of embarrassing. <laughs> oh my god, can you believe when he was 13? He, uh, here, here's mine. Here's something he would not. I, he's my boss. Here's man. something like, he I would not. Yeah. You know, I can't. Technically, he's it. my boss too, but anyway, here's one thing about Jared Kiesel he would not want you to know. He cannot shit at work. So there are. Very, very true. <laughs> he won't go to the bathroom anywhere but at his own house. So there are afternoons when I can fucking tell. I'm like, you need to sort yourself out. You're gonna get fired, man. This, this is not being recorded, is it? <laughs> hey. No one, in this room, no one in this room is gonna repeat that, right? That's fine. Anyone else want to get in trouble with their boss? No? Not so much? Cool. I, I, I think that pretty much... <laughs> okay, that, that, that does it. That does it. From one end of the panel to the other, that was the extreme. There you got it. <laughs> He's, he's got no poker face when it comes to, when he, when he cracks on camera, it's very obvious, and he'll try to hide it, but he, he can't hide. He thinks he's good at hiding it, but he can't, because he turns bright red, and then the, his lips curl up to the side, and to him, he's like straight-facing, and he's like, we're good, right? We can move on. And it's like, no, we got to do that whole fucking takeover, bud. You, you look like a red clown right now. Yeah, it's, it's, sometimes it's like he thinks we're making radio. Yeah. I'm like, I can see your face. It's like literally my job is to look at your face. When, when we were like, doing... No, we're good, we're good, we're good. I think when, when we were doing the, uh, the ice fishing scenes, mm. and he, he went, went the sushis and sashimis, uh, like these two were cry laughing, and it was a wide shot. And they're like, we're good? It's like, no, no. We, we have to do everything over. <laughs> so is Jared the one most likely to break? On camera, when you guys are sort of riffing, yeah. And then, who's the most likely to make someone break? On Lisa. Camera? Lisa. Lisa yeah, Codrick. Lisa. Yeah. Or Stuart. Or Tyler can do Tyler. it. Tyler. Yeah. And, Tyler and, makes me break. And Melanie. I can't even look at him. Melanie breaks people. Tyler breaks people. Um, Lisa. Lisa was the OG breaker. But Lisa, the most like consistent, because she's so calm and. Well, she and she can't be broken. Like no yeah. matter what's happening, she will not. Flinch. And she just collected the whole time, right? She's so sweet, and then she gets up there and does, again, this disgusting shit, and then it just <laughs> got everybody laughing. It's just like performers. And also the weird shit with her body. Yeah, exactly. Like her legs legs be up. <laughs> yeah, she's got both legs behind her head. The gyrating. Where's your up. other leg? I don't understand. She'll look you straight in the eye while like her leg is going up onto a bar. And... It's like she's a clock. It's like, no, this is the second <laughs> Super off-putting, but it's good. So you guys, you guys are about to embark on a sort of uh, a U.S. tour for your live show. Nate, I was wondering if you could talk about sort of the process of putting together the live show versus the show show. What's the difference? What if, if these folks want to 
fly out to New York or Chicago, various places, and see you guys live? What, what should they expect? Minneapolis? Um, well, the difference between the live show and the regular show, um, obviously, is the stage and the fact that we're live. Um, but uh, other than that, Nailed than it. that, what we do for the live show is we take scenes um, that are crafted like by Jared, uh, and we take them, we transfer those from the screen to the stage, and that's it. And so we do them live, and we have everything sort of set in front of the produce stand. And then we also incorporate a whole bunch of other stuff into the live show. We have K-Trev does stand-up, and Mark Ford does stand-up, and we have videos that people haven't seen and stuff like that. And so to take to take the material that would normally go on screen and to put it on stage is not that much different. I mean, there's like there's little there's no movement whatsoever, right? And so that's kind of that's fine. And you just you just write new stuff. Really selling it. Whoa! It sounds like an exciting live show. It's gonna be really fun. It's like a TV show you pay extra money for. If you hate movement, <laughs> do I have a show for you? All right, static shots the whole time. <laughs> um, and something, something I love starting, especially in season two, was this is this is such a great sketch show about this, this these rural Canadians. It's fantastic, but it has this really progressive politics, which is something that I really love. Season five is my favorite season. So I was wondering, Jacob, if you could talk about sort of that. How much intention is behind that? What, what, where that comes from? Yeah, I mean, that, that's the, that's the, I mean, I, I think it would, I would say that it stems from one very particular thing, which is that we hate bullies. So the progressiveness is you can be weird and you can be whatever you want to be. Uh, you, you will never be bullied in Letterkenny and bullies get punished. Um, and yeah, we're, I'm super proud, I'm super proud of, um, of the indigenous representation on the show. I don't think there's literally another show on TV that has as many, uh, 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 Aboriginal characters as ours does. I love the weird sexual diversity, even though it's just really a bunch of perverts. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, we did it. It was both deliberate and organic. It was like, you know, because we have gotten to do so many episodes, we, we, we have our universe and we get to keep expanding it. So it's like, you have someone as good as like Dio Horn who plays Tannis and you want to give her a world. You want to give her more to do. She's fucking awesome. Um, uh, yeah, she's the best. <laughs> Um, and same with, you know, same with Gail and then bringing in, you know, and then bringing in all the cousins and all the, <laughs> we do write it with a T, by the way, in the script. Um, and same, like once, you know, once we decided the McMurray's became swingers, we were like, this is just going to get, we're going to go down this hole. Um, literally. Literally. Yeah. Hey um, yeah, and it's something that we love about the show, and we also, like, what I, what I like is we don't have messages, we're not here to teach you a fucking lesson, it's Letter Kenny, but yeah, we love people and we love weirdos, and God bless them, let them all exist and let them exist, let them all find their happiness. Love it, yeah. Uh, so you guys just sort of became part of the Hulu family in a new and exciting way, as announced this week, you're now officially a Hulu original. Um, One of their many wives. <laughs> <laughs> but what's what's fascinating to me uh, about um, American the way that American audiences, myself included, respond to this, even though we don't understand maybe like twenty five percent of the words you guys say. <laughs> I don't know. We don't either. <laughs> Us neither. Come on. <laughs> I was wondering if you guys could go down the line and say if there's any sort of like lost in translation moment you've seen with American audiences. Someone comes up to you and is like, "What's what are all dressed chips? What are those? Like, what's a dart? What is that?" <laughs> They're gross. You're wrong. I, I don't know if I've seen a lot of uh, uh, misunderstandings with American audiences in general more than Canadian audiences. It's just yeah. such a unique language and code. And, you know, reading the scripts the first time, even watching the first YouTube videos, I have to go back and like, what the hell does that mean? My grandparents watched the show with closed captioning. 
so they can just understand what people are saying. Yeah. And even that, it's not, it's hard. It's tough. It can be tough. Well, I, mean, I don't understand what people are saying. I just watched this episode. I was like, do I, did anyone register a thing Stuart said? I have no <laughs> idea. What the fuck was he saying? I think I wrote a bunch of it too. Like, I'm not sure, but. Just like weird subcultures of music, I just think. Just naming, yeah, yeah, yeah. Every once in a while I hear like a trip hop or something, yeah, yeah. like a jungle, but I have no idea what he's talking about. It doesn't matter either, you guys. Obviously, it all, you know, we just keep watching it. And every time I rewatch it, I understand more. Um, we have time for some questions from the audience right down here. Part of what made the show so bingeable is how each season kind of ends on a cliffhanger. Yeah. And so um, was that something that was intentional in the writing? And yeah. as, as the cast, when you read the script and you see it ends on that cliffhanger, how does it feel not maybe not knowing how it's going to resolve itself until you start the next season? I'm just going to repeat that really quickly for the folks in the back, which is that each season ends on a cliffhanger, which makes you want to click, like, next episode, please. Uh, so how, how is that for the creatives in the cast? Yeah, sure. Uh, yes, it was on. It is on purpose. Uh, we're we're actually going to try to. Well, this one coming up is a big one, um, and then we're kind of trying to drift a little bit away from it because I we don't want it to feel forced either. Like this kind of like, oh, who's going to break up with what? Or, you know, like it's it can be a bit much. But um, but yeah, we definitely love it. And in the binging world, it is great. You're absolutely right to like bring you into the next season. Um, and they often don't know what's going to happen because we haven't decided what's going to happen at that point. It, like, it depends on what part of the block we're shooting it in. So, like, um, if it's, like, because we shoot, so we, like, what we're doing this year, which is what we did last year, is we shoot uh, the month of August and then another block in the month of November, basically. Um, so if it's the month of August, we have a very strong sense of what's coming in November because we have half of it written. But if it's November, sometimes we're like, who knows? I don't know what's going to happen next summer. So uh, they don't always know. Yeah, that's kind of fun. I though, tell them what to think. When you read them and you're just kind of like, don't really know where it goes. It's just like, all right, well, that's fun. You get to sort of take an audience perspective from that as well. So just go like, oh, this is interesting. I wonder what the fuck is going to go on, right? And then you just go and go about it your regular way, and then uh, and then either something fun happens, or you're involved in it, or you're not, or whatever. But yeah, it's uh, it's all uh, all kind of news to us at some point. Yeah. Good question. That deserves an Oscars T-shirt. It's not like it's not like Game of Thrones where they keep us shrouded in secrecy so we don't know what's happening. Like. Like, if, if they've got it figured out, they'll, you know, sometimes Katie they'll let kills us know. the Night King. And, uh, <laughs> she would. She would. And, like, yeah, but if they haven't written it, then it's like, oh, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen next, so, like, wait till August. <laughs> Other questions? Right there. A favorite moment or video to hook people into the show? Playing catch, the butts hole conversation. That, that for me was one of my favorite uh, ones to film, playing catch. First off, I just had fun playing catch with the guys. Uh, Nate and I played a lot of catch that summer because we didn't want to look like idiots throwing the ball around on television. Uh, but uh, just filming that, that sequence, like uh, on, on, on my close-ups, uh, Nate and Jared wouldn't look at me because I was just ranting about buttholes and and if Jared starts laughing Nate starts laughing so they had to look in other directions but I just think that scene sums up Letterkenny it's a bunch of guys you know farmers playing catch and talking about how natural it feels to finger their buttholes so that'd be my recommendation yeah I mean in the same tone I think like the the porn scene 
The yes, 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 yes. The yes, and, yes. The, all the yeses. Yes, yes, yes. yes that one, probably. Um, I like the uh, I like the alphabet aerobics at the beginning of the season. I think yeah, that's. Yeah, I love that. that. I think that's something that's like not quite as dirty as those other two, but you can definitely, if you're trying to hook somebody in, I think it's like that's a quick like one scene in, and then it's nice and creative and fucking really fun and was awesome to see, and then yeah, I think that can hook somebody right away. I like to go all in, and uh, if uh, if they don't like fart book, then they're not a friend of mine. <laughs> fart, fart book is a that's a that's a tester. That's yeah. I would say super soft. I'd say like watch super soft to this. Yeah. yeah. Mark, then was it your idea to do the previously on fart montage? If your no, fart that, was your that favorite? was not mine, but I thoroughly enjoyed it and supported it. <laughs> I actually forgot that that we were doing that, and I block. I think I blocked it out of my mind. And then I saw, I was like, previously on, we've never done that before. And I was like, oh right, this email thread I stopped paying attention to. Holy shit! I could have sworn it just started as a joke, and then somehow it's, ended that's up why. On I, it was that's like, what I, that is how it's done. <laughs> oh, oh, we're actually doing this. Okay. <laughs> It, it's actually amazing how many discussions about how to play farts I've had with Jared Kiso. It's like the, the first, the first couple bro. of seasons, I would have a physical thing to show that I was farting. And then Jared and I actually had a big conversation about, like, don't move anymore. Just let the fart play and don't oversell the fart because, like, you're, you're we're making it cartoony. I never thought my late 30s would be this consumed with talking about farting. Yeah. Like, if you told me that, I'd been like, then let's choose a different adventure. But it's worked out. It's been very nice. But several, it's a lot of conversations about the art of television farting with Jared Kiso. <laughs> right there in the green. We know, we know. Lavina Dick, yes. And... Well, uh, funny that you should mention that. We do actually have a, I don't know, what do you call it, a spinoff, or I don't know what we're calling it, but we're doing a thing called Little Kenny, which is an animated uh, show, which is all of them as kids. <laughs> and and uh, we, we, uh, we haven't released it yet, but it's coming out shortly. Um, there's, uh, there's six two-minute episodes that we're very excited by. But yeah, but we're never, we're never going to see the parents in the show. If that's your question, like people, the question we get asked a lot is like, where are the adults in Letterkenny? And we're all like, who knows, but they're not there. <laughs> Uncle Ed, the ghost of Uncle Eddie is like as best you're going to get. Like we know they were related to people because Uncle Eddie is alive. I like the implication no, that none of these I mean, people no, are adults. Was fucked to death by, was fucked to death by Gail. I'm almost oh, that's 40, insane but there's too. no adults I'm almost in Letterkenny. And I'm like, no, I'm one of the kids on Letterkenny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what, what happened, I mean, we did have that one election episode that there was some real seniors. So we know they're there. Yeah, they, they are there somewhere. Yeah. Somewhere. <laughs> Right there, yeah. Right? <laughs> I was, as, when I was 12, I was on her show. Right? You're welcome for that. For the Americans, Deanie Petty hosted a daytime talk show in Canada for a long, long time. So we all grew up watching she, Deanie Petty. Did shampoo commercials too, I want to say? She probably did shampoo commercials, yeah. Craziest fan experience. Well, um, Nathan and I actually did a show uh, a couple years ago for uh, Allied Troops. It was the end of a three-month training ac exercise. Uh, 
involving Canadian, U.S., British, Australian, and, and New Zealand uh, troops. And uh, they brought us out, and uh, it was actually the entire training exercise had been Letterkenny-themed. Like, all their bases and stations were like Camp Katie Cat, Camp Squirrely Dan. And, Operation and, Pitter-Patter, Operation Get It Done. And it was yeah, like 5,000 Allied troops, and, and all of them knew the show. Uh, and what we found out is that Letterkenny episodes are on like the, the care packages that go overseas to the troops to give them a, a, the, the homesickness packages, they call them, so that they can watch the TV shows from home. And what happens is the soldiers get out there, they watch the programs from home and start swapping uh, discs with the uh, other soldiers from different countries to get a look at different shows. So through that, we have this crazy following of US and, and uh, military and Australian and British military and New Zealand military who all know the show. And uh, Nate and I walked out in costume on this base and 5,000 troops like rushed us to get autographs and pictures. Terrifying. And we had, we had <laughs> like they're just like and, and nicest guys, but just like if, if you ever met five thousand drunk troops, they're they're very intense. Uh, so I mean, it was like it one, it was like very heartwarming, but at the same time, like like oh my god, this is so overwhelming. The reception we got from them, but it, it's been amazing the uh, the reception we get from like military personnel because we had the guys coming up and thanking us for making a, a TV show about farting, and it's like no, thank you for risking your life to keep us free. Like you guys, way more deserve thanks than we do. But it's, it, that was, We're that doing was one God's of the work up here. <laughs> And uh, T Pain loves the show. T Pain, yeah, he tweeted yeah, that, it. That was that pretty was cool when he weird. tweeted about it. Yeah. Yeah, so 5,000 troops in T Pain. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle, do you have a story? Is it T Pain? It is T Pain. Okay. <laughs> um, all right, right there. Are the fight scenes harder or are the fast-paced dialogue scenes harder to film? Well, to I'm not in the fight scenes. Usually, I'm usually on a lounge chair observing the fight and telling people who to fight. And I always get a kick out of it because these boys and their fight scenes, it's just like the glee on their face when they get to like run around and like wrestle. It's so... It's so nerdy. It's insane how nerdy it is. And I just wanted that to be clear. It's, so those are my favorite to watch because I'm just like, you dum-dums. <laughs> it is super fun to pretend to be badass fighters. Uh, I don't know about, like, I went to theater art school. So, like, the biggest fight that ever happened at my school was between two dance majors. And those girls were vicious. So... Uh, uh, actually, probably the fight scenes are more difficult than the dialogue scenes because we're sitting down for the dialogue and we're up and moving. Uh, I don't know for the rest of the guys, but I'm, I spent a good few seasons at 350 pounds, so moving wasn't my favorite part. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I lost 80 pounds. <laughs> um, I like the... Uh... I think the fight scenes are a little bit harder to film for me just because it's more involved with less talking. The talking stuff always goes super fast and it's really fun to do. Because of that, it seems to go much faster. There's a lot more of like a mouthful to take in, but it's just like, it's fun. 
And so those ones are great. And then the fight scenes, there's just a lot of angles to get everything to get like small shots. So it just takes a little bit longer. But other than that, you know, it is fun to fake punch people and make, you know, make these massive guys just go flying every, in each direction. It's just like, well, it's not me. This is great. Um, but then, uh, but then, yeah, the dialogue scenes are awesome. There's, they're, yeah, they're my favorite. They're my favorite for we, sure, especially around the table. They're, we, yeah, they're my favorite. We do have an amazing uh, stunt coordinator and fight choreographer in Dan Skeen, who is, uh, done most of the fights on the show and choreographed and, and done the stunt work for those. And uh, he is terrific and uh, takes up a whole bunch of untrained actors and teaches us how to uh, properly execute a fight and has a lot of patience with very stupid guys. So <laughs> hats off to Skeener. All right, do we have time for one more? Is that okay? Cool. Uh, I'm trying to get someone back. Sorry, the lights. Right there. Yes. Best advice for fledgling web series creators? Um, I think if Jared was here, he would just say, just, just do it. Just make it. Um, and, uh, you know, trying to sell a show is incredibly difficult. Um, if you have the resources or to do a web series, you don't need, really need anything. Um, if you have an idea, just go and do it and put it up there. And uh, don't wait for anybody to say yes uh, to give you the support to do it. Just do it. And, and Jared did that. And uh, this is what it's turned into now. Yeah, you create your own. You create your own proof of concept right away, right? So, I mean, you, you, it's and it's also great for you to find out if it's working or if it's not working. Um, and you know, it, uh, Mark's entirely right that like you don't need a massive amount of money. You don't need an enormous amount of resources to do something good or engaging. Um, just, uh, just do it. I, I, yeah, don't wait for someone to say yes to you because they won't. But also, also be a little bit, uh, you know, ruthless with it as well because um, Nate and Jared did. Uh, two other videos before turning the Letterkenny problems, um, which were quite successful, but not to the same degree as Letterkenny problems. Um, so, you know, Jared was constantly tweaking and figuring out, okay, what's what's resonating, um, and that's that's what uh, what spawned the series itself. So, keep making, but also keep trying to get it better and and tweak it and uh, um, constantly trying to improve. Yeah, there's definitely there's a time to just let it go if it's something that's not working. There's the time to quit pushing, but also. Uh, in the, in the beginning, just keep going, 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 going. And that's it. There's nothing else to it. And then hopefully something hits. But also, yeah, know when to be ruthless and just be like, okay, this either sucks or this is not attracting the audience that I want to. What can we do to change this? And other than that, yeah, man, get out and do it. And that's the only thing that kind of works. Because, again, like Jacob said, proof of concept is right there. And you can make it for much cheaper than trying to film a real pilot um, because that's quite expensive. And then, uh, yeah, just keep going for sure. Keep going and going. All right. Well, I think that's all we have time for. Thank you guys so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thank, Thank you, guys. You. Thank you. Yeah. The TV Campfire is produced by Caitlin McFarland, Emily Gibson, and AJ Myers, along with our audio partner, Five Ohm Productions. Mark your calendars. ATX TV Festival Season 9 is happening June 4th through 7th, 2020 in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit atxfestival.com and follow us on social media at ATX Festival. And be sure to check out our episode notes for a very special discount on badges exclusive to the TV Campfire podcast listeners. As always, please rate, subscribe, and share this podcast. And stay tuned for even more exclusive releases each week.